We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Gap Factory Labor Day sale is happening now. Hurry in for the best deals of the season. 40 to 75% off everything. Plus doorbusters August 30th through September 2nd only. Tees from $4.99. Logo styles from $16.99. And jeans from $19.99. Shop in-store today at Gap Factory or at GapFactory.com. Welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Command Center podcast, home of the biggest edge in Dynasty fantasy football. My name is Curtis Patrick, and I'm joined by Travis May, and we are the Dynasty and Devi coordinators at Rotoviz. We've been talking rookies for months now, but we're going to move on a little bit with this episode to the Devi class, the Devi class of 2020, the Devi class of 2021. Who are the next rookie classes that we need to get excited about? How do they compare to the rookies that we're drafting right now? Uh, this is what that episode's about. Many of you might have Devi drafts that occur right after your rookie draft, or even maybe concurrently, you got an auction. What does the top tier look like? Those are all topics we're going to hit tonight. Before we talk about any of the actual players, though, Travis, why don't you give the listeners an idea of what a Devi league is? What is the format? If, if somebody's never heard of it, you know, what would be a way to get into this thing? Yeah, so short answer is, I mean, if you have been playing fantasy football for a while and you just want to kind of lock up your favorite college football players so you make sure that they're on your squads uh, when they enter the NFL, you can do that in Debbie Leagues. Uh, you don't necessarily always get points uh, for your roster. I mean, some of my weird formats, we integrate <laughs> some college fantasy points into what we do. But realistically, a Debbie draft, you just get to draft your favorite USC wide receiver, your favorite running back from Alabama or wherever you tend to root for, or you just tend to believe that they're going to project well to the pros. And so it's a lot of fun because you can own a player from you know their age 18 season and just watch them explode and then uh, land on your roster and 
actually contribute. And it can take some time to actually see the production. But when you really finally get a, a, a solid contributing player uh, off of a uh, Debbie pick from two, three years ago, it's it's just incredibly gratifying. So it's, it's a lot of fun just uh, rooting for these guys throughout the process. Yeah, man, that's a, that's a great introduction. And, and even beyond just picking the players and adding that whole other level of scouting and level of competition and high school star ratings and all that, yeah. it, it really is its own subculture. But what also is cool about a Devi League is when you play Devi Dynasty, you just have that many more assets that become tradable. And you have all these different ways of building a squad. A rebuild looks a little different in a, in a Devi League. And you know how every league that you play in, you've got the guy that really loves to chase the youth. And it's almost like maybe he's a, a football card collector more than actually trying to win a title. Well, you've got that like to the nth degree in Debbie Leagues. It, it is really fun. And, and people really love to just, you know, stamp their name on a, on a prospect when, when they hit. And you almost never hear the end of it. So um, that is what this episode's about. Really, before we get into uh, Travis's new API metrics and how they can help us uh, spot some of these new Devi All-Stars. I want to share with you a word from our sponsor tonight, the FFPC. It's been 10 years since our friends at the FFPC filled their first Dynasty League, and they've now grown to be the world's largest Dynasty League commissioner, with leagues as high as $5,000 to enter. Leagues are active and competitive, and not a single league has ever folded. That's a, that's a big problem in the Dynasty community. FFPC is on your side with that. That great roster that you build, all the dollars and hours uh, and sweat equity that you got in your roster, it's never going to be wasted because they get all those orphans taken over. Brand new startup Dynasty Leagues are forming right now. They start at $77, but they've got levels at $250, $500, $750, $1250, $2500 You can play in a, a traditional PPR league. Uh, they've got super flex and best ball formats as well. They also have great redraft formats, including best ball. They're filling daily with the live drafts. They've all got also got slow email style drafts. Go to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. And just a reminder, all new subscribers to our Dynasty Command Center Slack get a $35 league credit applicable to any Dynasty League fee startup uh, at $77 or higher. We had over 40 people take us up on that last week. So we hope that uh, you'll also give that a try this week after this episode. So now we're going to get into the incredible 2020 running back class and how that compares to this year. You know, we've, we've known for years, thanks to the recruiting class scores and and for anyone that plays uh, Debbie, this is like this is supposed to be like that magic class. Um, even kind of, I, I think more so than the 2017 class that ended up being kind of like a, a nice surprise and a little deeper than maybe we thought it would be. 2020, this is like the creme de la creme, man. Um, we also want to talk about some of the top receivers and the combine for some basic top end rankings. Uh, mentioned wide receiver production. Um, so, so Travis, let's start with the running backs. What do we need to know about this class, and, and, and what can your metrics maybe tell us about these guys? Yeah, so I, with, with the running backs, it's funny. With, you mentioned the 2017 class. We kind of knew that the very top end of the 2017 class was going to be special for a long time. If you, if you pay attention to college football and, uh, or in Debbie Leagues, uh, really recruiting the big picture there, uh, wide receivers and, and their star ratings and the top end wide receivers don't project 
as well or successfully uh, in terms of finding your true college or NFL success uh, like they do the running backs. It's probably just a, a little bit easier uh, of a position to, uh, you know, it's not so reliant on, on scheme and it's not really, frankly, as, as complex a position. So the 2017 running backs like, you know, Leonard Fournette um, and uh, Dalvin Cook, I mean, those guys were like, God's gift to the running back position three years before they ever stepped foot on an NFL field. And so, you know, they, they were obviously going to be hyped up long, long before that. And even like Joe Mixon, uh, he was uh, highly uh, recruited, like so really stacked class for a long time. But this year, well, the 2020 class, rather, that's probably got the, the same level of talent at the top, plus it's deeper. So I'm really excited to see what that actually looks like once they make it to the NFL. And a lot of these guys, they've already produced in a big way, and you want to see adequate production, production, you know, large sample size of success with these guys. You want to see them uh, win in uh, kind of pro-style setups if, they, if we can get looks at that. But, I mean, you got names like uh, Cam Akers, uh, who in high school was almost more like a wild wildcat quarterback than he was a, a running back. And then you've got Najee Harris at Alabama, who should take uh, the majority of the work uh, this year with maybe true freshman Trey Sanders as well, helping him out a bit. And then uh, those those guys were actually top five prospects, in uh, not just at the position, in the country when they came into college. And it's really, really checked out thus far. And then you've got DeAndre Swift, Georgia. And he's, I mean, we're going to get to kind of talking about our rankings a little bit. But by many, he's he's maybe the best running back in the 2020 class and he was a top 33 i think he was 33 34 around that range in his class as well but we're looking at a class that had 24 running backs all inside the top 300 uh several of the the names that were at the top of that that running back class are the names that we still think are going to translate and this could be one of the stickiest recruiting class rating to nfl success ratings i've ever seen if it pans out like i think uh, with draft capital next year, because I think we're going to see uh, Najee Harris, Cam Akers, uh, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, uh, even Eno Benjamin, probably all those guys, maybe plus some up at the top, are going to be uh, day one, day two picks. So um, it's really just been interesting as I've, I've, I've dove into the success rate of the uh, recruiting versus success in college, and then eventually the NFL. They've done a pretty good job at that position. Uh, but I think we're a little bit more reliant on on production numbers when looking at wide receiver anal- analysis, which is why I kind of wanted to build a um, a better <laughs> way to just visualize uh, big picture production for wide receivers. But uh, I, I'm interested just to get to the rankings discussion, though, because there's so many running backs crowded at the top of this class. But right now, I feel like, and Curtis, if you're on the same page, I feel like it's Travis Etienne for Clemson. And DeAndre Swift for Georgia. Those those two guys seem kind of like in a league of their own from a ranking standpoint. Not only at Rotoviz, but at other sites as well. Yeah, it's it, they're kind of interchangeable at this point. I think um, me and and Jordan Hoover are the three rankers at Rotoviz, and and the three of us have you know those guys as one or two. Yeah, and and they really have separated themselves as as the top tier. But you know, we still got a whole other season to play. <laughs> And, and injuries can occur. Somebody else could emerge. Some of the names that you went through, and when you think about how many of them I could actually see like being treated as the running back 
one and next year's class, that's that's when it gets a little crazy to me because we have ETN, we have Swift, and then like down the list, you have Acres, you have Jonathan Taylor, you have you know Benjamin, AJ Dillon, J.K. Dobbins. I mean, there's a lot of guys here. Oh yeah, there's a lot of guys here that depending on landing spot and draft capital, you talk about being like a top 100 pick. I mean, it's it's going to be a little bit crazy, and so um, because of the quality of the depth. I'm a little bit less hung up on what's the particular order, yeah. you know, that somebody wants to list these names in. And it's more about just trying to collect a couple different guys kind of in that seven, uh, that uh, group of seven that I just mentioned. Uh, I, I wouldn't, you know, sell the farm probably to roster ETN or Swift if I thought I could get two of the other guys um, with, with the same uh, sort of capital investment. What do you think about that? I think you're right on. I, I think uh, while they're, you know, you you might have your guy in any class, and maybe their value right now, DeAndre Swift and Travis Etienne, their value right now might be greater than somebody down the list at a, a J.K. Dobbins or a Nino Benjamin for Arizona State, uh, or even like an A.J. Dillon for Boston College. It, it really, I I don't really care. I just want with hit rates and Debbie uh, prospects. I just want more darts. Because, uh, I mean, I'm maybe super confident right now that these players are going to hit, but a lot can happen, like you said, in this final season. And so if I've got two chances to hit on, on similar talented players, similarly talented players, I'm definitely going to go for the more darts when I can. Because Debbie and, and just college football in general, projecting NFL success is so, so difficult to do, especially when we're talking a year, two years out. I mean, the NFL... They're bad at getting it when they have all the information at their finger fingertips, let alone missing an entire year of uh, of production and success and staying healthy and you know maybe just growing in your game. Uh, so it's a little bit maybe like I said easier to see the talent at the running back position just because there's not so many there's not like 47 different versions of what the wide receiver position can look like. Uh, versus, well, there, there, there is with the wide receivers, but not with running backs. I mean, it's, you know, there's pass catching backs, there's, you know, your, uh, bruisers, there's, you know, your feature balance guys. And that's, you know, that's, that's about it. And so, uh, gauging the talent is, is a little bit easier there, but, uh, I, I don't really know if I, I'm, I'm really going to be reaching for any of these guys or overpaying for any of these guys. I'm actually in an, an auction draft right now where, I'm actually forcing all the Debbie guys out there for 2020 because it's already been so hyped up within our nerdy little circles that people are wanting to own as many 2020 running backs as they possibly can and overpay if they have to do it. And I'm just not really there with Debbie assets. And we were kind of talking about that before the show, but I mean, when you can trade in production, sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's not even the best play to necessarily own a bunch of Debbies. It's like, you want to be, you want to have all the Debbies or you want to have none. <laughs> that That's kind of where I, I typically find myself in leagues. Uh, I don't know about you. Yeah, I think, I think in the, I mean, in the Debbie leagues that I play, it's usually maybe a maximum of, of, of three guys owning like 80% of the, the Debbie assets in a, in a given year. It, 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 because it is, we talked about this a little bit in the, in the lead in, it's like a whole new way to strategize your build. One thing I wanted to mention before we actually try to cut these top seven or eight backs into, into a couple different tiers is it's, I wouldn't call it a worry, but it's something that I think about, you know, there's a lot of quality of depth and talent coming in at that position next year. 
but we've had a massive influx of talent within the last couple of years in the NFL at the running back position, and we're seeing backs used differently. Um, even though there's a, a handful of guys that profile like three down backs, I think a lot of the a lot of the jobs have been taken. Um, and so I think that no matter, I mean, there's there's so many quality guys. You know, some of these guys are not going to land in great positions and they're, they're going to become committee backs for their first contract or for at least part of their first contract. Um, and, and that's a concern, you know, the 2017 class really did a number on that. And I think even, even this year, um, with this class, I don't, I don't know that with the perceived weakness that there was within our community and even in the NFL, like draft scout community, I think more backs went earlier in the draft than I, than I probably would have predicted. Um, there were some real surprises that were drafted um, even by the end of day two. Yeah. And, you know, teams doing back, you know, back to back years of, of running backs by the end of day two, that's, that's pretty rare in this day of eight, in this day and age. So um, it's just something to have in the back of your mind. You know, I think that's, that's probably more of like a contrarian view to actually go and full fade. The 2020 running back class might not be something that I would recommend, but I think at some point it will at some point the value you can get for these chips before they enter the league might become enticing enough to trade it for the production now. And so just so just kind of keep that in mind. Um let's try to cut these guys up into maybe like a top 3 tier for running backs and then and then just maybe like a little bit of sleeper watch. So yeah. I'm going to let RV score guide us through this and, and we'll kind of do it organically. RV yeah. score is just basically a way of measuring um, kind of the distribution uh, or, or agreement of, of our rankings on the site. And as, as we already said, ETN and Swift are a clear uh, tier one. I don't know that based off of that score, we could make an argument for anyone else to be in that tier. I mean, would you make that argument? I think uh, some people that really are just holding out hope that uh, Florida State's offense is just ruined K-Makers, I think they would probably, uh, well, his his production anyway, uh, and I think they might lump him in with that group. But I think there's probably uh, just a slight gap uh, for me and just because I am a little bit worried about uh, his limitations in production and his really big play ability that he hasn't he really hasn't put on display at all in, in college. So I think there's just maybe one question or two questions more I have on acres than I do with either ETN or Swift. Okay. So, so we'll agree. We'll agree that the clear tier one then is ETN and Swift yeah. and, and, and maybe acres is, is, you know, just a half a notch below, but he's not quite on that level. Right. We've got acres and Jonathan Taylor, um, would be the first two names in tier two, and then would where are you at on you know Benjamin? Is he in that? Is he you know belong in that group or deserving to be uh, with those other two guys for you right now? To me, he is. I think uh, the only concern that uh, some people might have with him is his size because he's not going to weigh in at uh, two hundred twenty pounds uh, at all. I think he's going to be somebody who really tests out well at agility wise, and his burst score is probably going to be solid. Uh, but um, he really just blew it up this past year at Arizona State and was just, uh, I mean, he, even at a smaller size, he was still you know, 30 carries a, a game or something at times. So I'm not really worried about his ability to carry a significant workload. I think some people will be scared, but I think that's, I, I don't worry about that with him just because of his play style and how 
uh, how he moves. I think he has to be in that second tier for me. And I think a lot of people are are kind of pushing him slowly up the ranking board right now as they're watching more of, of Benjamin and what he can do. Yeah, I, th- I think he belongs there as well. He's in my uh, top 12 overall, and I think you've got him in your top 10, actually. So I, I have no problem with that. Um, we yeah. got to figure out if the line gets drawn after Benjamin or if there's any another name that needs to be up there. Uh, we've got J.K. Dobbins, A.J. Dillon would be the next two names probably deserving of of consideration there. Yeah. Do you see a tier break uh, after Benjamin before those guys? Uh, I think so. I think uh, there's just a few people that uh, have some questions about A.J. Dillon's uh, receiving game and receiving ability uh, and just kind of being pigeonholed as a, a two-down guy in, in the NFL. Uh, definitely no more. And I, I get that. Like he basically didn't catch anything prior to this year, uh, and he still really hasn't done much in that regard. Uh, he just wasn't really asked to do that that much. I mean, he's only caught eight passes in two seasons. That's not you don't want to you don't really want to see that. But somebody who can just take over a game easily uh, and talk about t- true feature size. He's probably six foot two. Well, probably two forty, really. So he's got. He the, is, yeah, he is. I, yeah, it's just absolutely bonkers how huge he is. And J.K. Dobbins, he disappeared at times uh, this past season and uh, struggled to you know, beat out Mike Weber for touches at, at times as well. And Mike Weber is a guy that, you know, just barely got drafted this year. Uh, so it's a little bit uh, a little bit confusing to see his inconsistency. I think he blew up because his very first game for Ohio State, his very first career game, I think he set the record for a true freshman in yards for Ohio State, which was huge. But ever since then, he's just kind of been on a roller coaster. And I dropped him way down in my rankings midseason this past year. But I think he has to be in that, that tier below, you know, just because of, again, the questions. I would I would put one more up in that conversation just because I think consensus would put in there. And I'd say a guy like Kylan Hill is probably sneaks up with uh, in, or near A.J. Dillon and J.K. Dobbins next year too. Yeah, I I think that's the next that's like the tier three, right? So so we would have tier one as Etienne and Swift. Yeah. Tier two is Akers, Taylor, Benjamin. Yeah. And then tier three is Dylan, Dobbins, and Kylan Hill. Yeah, that's that's how I would paint it right now. Yeah, I feel pretty good about that. That's a pretty solid top eight at the running back position and should definitely give some people uh some ideas of, of where they can go in Debbie drafts uh this season or if they you know, if those guys are already owned in your Debbie leagues, depending on, you know, I, I think one function of Debbie leagues is, you know, how early can those players be drafted? I've, I've seen leagues where, you know, you don't, you can't draft, you know, a player um, when they're a freshman. Um, it, you know, there's, there's different settings there. So if it's possible, some of these guys were, or maybe it's a Debbie league where like only, you know, one player can be drafted per team and it's not a deep Debbie league. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of those guys might be available uh, when you are on the clock this spring before, we get into the wide receiver position and talk about adjusted production index. I want to talk to you a little bit about Yahoo DFS. The Yahoo Daily Fantasy Sports platform is unlike what you'll see from the other big box brands. Their GPP contests have max entry limits of 10 per player. And their quick match feature pairs up users with similar experience and win-loss records to ensure you're going head-to-head with people of the same skill level. No sharks gobbling up your head-to-heads if you don't want them to. The lobby is always full of Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, and my personal favorite this time of year, PGA contest. We got the PGA Championship going on right now. I've uh, been watching my lineups uh, all day, watching that creep. You can try your hand at Yahoo DFS 
with $25 free on us just by using our promo code VIZ25 with your first deposit. Go to yahoo.com slash daily fantasy today and start your journey. You could be the next big winner. All right, Travis. Well, let's get about a just a, a two-minute summary of adjusted production index, and then let's talk about what it can teach us about the 2020 and 2021 wide receiver classes. Sure. So uh, if you've uh, checked out or maybe you haven't checked out my my piece, you get a little bit better look at, and more complete look at, at the breakdown here of uh, what the adjusted production index looks like. If you go over to Rotoviz and just check out the adjusted production index piece. But I wanted to just capture uh, visually what a good score looks like for production overall for a wide receiver. Obviously, we know breakout age is important. Obviously, we know draft capital is important. But I wanted to look at adjusted dominator rating, which is basically just your um, the percentage of your offense that you account for with uh, your yards and your touchdowns and uh, the peak numbers, basically your, your best season's numbers at, at, at dominator rating. And then your yards per team pass attempt, uh, which is shown to be one of the stickiest variables in, in terms of uh, translating to NFL success. And then uh, touchdowns per team pass attempt as well, just to kind of speak to finding those red zone monsters that just uh, get in the end zone uh, every single chance that they get. And, and kind of take a full full look at, at those three variables, weight them and adjust them for what, what you know what's called a Z-score. Essentially, they're, they're standard deviations away from an average wide receiver uh, in, in the sample in college. And uh, can kind of compare them to each other and... Uh, I, I took a look at uh, players that entered the NFL in between 2005 and 2016. And uh, I basically uh, looked at their production scores and uh, guys that were immensely productive, guys that were not productive at all, uh, spanning from Demarius Thomas's ridiculous numbers because he was Georgia Tech and it was kind of a smaller sample and he had an unbelievable adjusted production index score. All the way down to, you know, there's a couple of examples of guys that have found success in the NFL, or at least limited success. Like Adam Humphreys was way near the bottom, but he's like the only guy in the, like basically the entire bottom 20% of uh, adjusted production index scores that did basically anything in the pros. And I found some inter- pretty, pretty interesting stuff uh, about uh, the hit rates. Uh, basically, if you were in the top 10%, you were almost a lock uh, in terms of your production score to hitting in the NFL. And if you're in the top, really top 40% or so, is about the cutoff where I'm really super interested in your hit rate and and the uh, likelihood of you uh, making it in the NFL, especially if you add draft capital into it and you get like top 100 pick, you know, basically a day one, day two type draft capital assigned to you. So I looked at all those things and I wanted to uh, look at this uh, rookie class and compare them to uh, you know the guys from 2005 to 2016 that entered the league and have at least three seasons under their belt. But now here we are, and I've actually dug into some of the Debbie prospects, current college players that have already produced pretty well, or not uh, what we want to see just yet, but may do so. Some pretty popular names among uh, Debbie league circles. Uh, and there's some pretty intriguing names, some guys that could basically miss their entire final season this year and already have a good enough production profile to be super intriguing uh, and really to, to make me believe that they have a, a good chance of succeeding in the NFL, especially, like I said, if they get that draft capital uh, assigned to them as well. 
And uh, one one of everybody's favorites uh, for the wide receiver position that, that pays attention to college football and, and uh, Debbie, uh, Tyler Johnson for Minnesota. I mean, he's just a name that not a lot of people know uh, if you don't nerd out about college football or if you don't play Debbie leagues. But Tyler Johnson, if he didn't play a down this year, would already have a 98th percentile uh, score in terms of adjusted production and index. Basically, his overall production score is just off the charts. And so I, I really hope he does get some draft capital because if he does, I think he's going to be one of those guys that has to go early next year and in, in a you know a class full of running backs. He could be one of the, the few wide receivers that sneaks in up top. But uh, besides him, and there's about five other guys uh, that really stuck out with their production profile. Uh, you know, a name like Jerry Judy. He already has the adequate production index score to make me believe he's. You know, if you attach some draft capital to to Jerry Judy, you know he's a first round pick. He's basically a lock for NFL production, and so there's there's really seldom a, a guy like that, or really any wide receiver that I feel like are locks. But uh, he's kind of he's kind of close, <laughs> uh, just looking at the production index. And uh, his implied draft capital next year. I mean, he already won the Bletnikoff Award this year for being college football's best wide receiver. So there's several other names, but I, I'm curious. I don't know if, if you had Judy as your wide receiver one, um, but if you didn't, who else is in the conversation up there in that top tier? Yeah, um, Judy is currently my wide receiver two. And I have Luviska, uh, Chenault, um, above him but it you know it's almost kind of the same conversation as etn and swift you know i mean it's it's the the two or three guys that i like I, i've also got um rondell moore justin ross uh, are also kind of in that picture um, but you're gonna have to wait an additional season for those guys so they're you know just slightly behind right now but i can see in your api uh spreadsheet that you shared with me here that you know even those 2021 guys i mean they're ready to go you know they're locked and loaded so um, I, I'm not necessarily picky at this point. I'm not going to pretend to be a soothsayer that knows if LaVisca Chenault or Jerry Judy is going to be the better pro. Um, but I know that I like them both a lot. And I like that you're, uh, it's, it's almost one of those uh, confirmation bias things. When I see them show up well in your metric, it makes me feel pretty good about uh, how, how I had them diced up in my rankings. So yeah. um, where do you have, uh, where do you have LaVisca? Because it can be, can be difficult sometimes on, on the players that that aren't from an Alabama, uh, and and questioning, um, you know how how they would project. Does API tell you anything about um, quality of, of competition? Are there any things that maybe you would want people to know uh, about API that could help sort through some of that mess? Yeah. So as far as like the uh, level of competition, I do try to split them up into two kind of rankings when I am looking at at these guys to just uh, say okay. Well, um, yeah, Jaden Reed had a great season for Western Michigan uh, with his production score, uh, <laughs> but I'm not super. You know, I'm not as intrigued about his impressive uh, freshman season as I am like a Rondale Moore, who had an even better season against better competition. Uh, so I do take that into account, and I do kind of look at uh, those two players that kind of in two different ranking sets until I see some uh, draft capital attached to them in the pros. But as far as debut purposes go. I do prefer going after guys, uh, especially at the wide receiver position, that uh, are 
power five schools. They just, I mean, they just have a, historically, you, uh, you know, you see less <laughs> small school guys uh, make it, you know, the, some of the best players ever are small school guys, uh, but that's not historically, I'm not going for outliers necessarily when I'm playing Debbie. I'm going for guys that I feel like are safer hit rate guys, but also have the upside and also check a lot of the boxes uh, that I want to see. Because uh, it's a hit rate game. That's what it is. I mean, if, if you want to say that you're going to get the next Jerry Rice uh, coming from nowhere state, and that's that's fine. But that's that's not how I, I approach um, my Debbie drafts for the most part. Uh, and really looking at... You just offended everyone in the Mississippi Valley, sir. Yeah, that, that's fine. You just offended them all. Uh, that's okay. That's one of our biggest listening regions. Well... Come on, man. Sorry, man. <laughs> I... I I'm from ten. You know, I live in Tennessee now. <laughs> uh, from Indiana, I have no no Mississippi bias. I don't. I don't hate you guys. So if you're listening, you're okay. But <laughs> but seriously though, I with the API, you just really want to see through one or two years of uh, production. You can't always expect these guys to uh, check all the boxes right away. Uh, oftentimes, you see a ton of prospects in their final season. Uh, actually, it be their best season. No surprise, but uh, you know if, if they're not at the threshold uh, of adjusted production index right now that they need to be, I wouldn't be worried about it too too badly. Like C.D. Lamb, uh, he had to compete with Marquise Hollywood Brown this year for market share, but this year he's probably going to blow up and, and check a little bit more of a box there. He had about an average. Like if he was entering this year's NFL draft, he would have a very average. Uh, total adjusted production index, but he's somebody who could explode with his final season production and get the draft capital and enter a, a tier of expectations where he, he's also in the wide receiver one conversation with LaVisca, with Jerry Judy. Right now I have it uh, for 2020, it's Judy, uh, LaVisca, and then CeeDee Lamb. But uh, those three, I think, for very for varying reasons, I think you can make an argument for any of those three as a potential uh, wide receiver one in the 2020 class, but uh, Rondell Moore is just a freaking unicorn. Like I, I'm a little biased because, I mean, I went to Purdue and he's basically the second best maybe <laughs> Boilermaker ever already through his freshman year. Uh, just what he did, uh, having over 2,000 all-purpose yards, winning the Paul Hornung Award for being the most versatile player in college football. And by the way, the last five winners of that award went on to be first-round NFL draft picks. That's guys like Odell Beckham Jr. That's guys like Christian Caffrey. Uh, the guys that are just absolute stud athletes, stud production, uh, just and hit guys that hit. Uh, and yes, Rondell Moore's smaller, but he's right there next to the guys that are eligible for 2020. I have him sixth overall uh, in all of my Debbie rankings everywhere. And it's crazy to say that considering I, I got him in the 42nd round of a super embarrassingly nerdy Debbie draft <laughs> slash college f- fantasy football oh my draft last year. <laughs> so to get a guy in the uh. 42nd round and then have him be a top 10 type value player like that is just, uh, it's so much fun. <laughs> 42nd round man you should have not told me about that i'm gonna figure out a way figure out a way to come back and uh turn the tables on you with that one but yeah man more really really insane um what six six games with double digit receptions last season yeah just um not seven games over 100 yards i mean and and he's small 
But what did we see? And I think this is something that's going to translate to Debbie rankings. It's already starting to show up for me a little bit. Um, I think that we used to penalize smaller receivers. And, I mean, this year, the NFL, the way that GMs and scouts spoke about how they evaluate wide receivers, it's, I mean, separation is the trump card. Oh, yeah. It is not it is not size in the jump ball anymore. It is separation. And um he's not Marquise Brown small. I mean he you know, he entered school at 175 pounds. You know, I I would expect him to enter the draft over 180. So I mean he's still gonna be small. I mean he's he's not um you know, he's not gonna be Des Bryant size, you know, mm. when, when he enters the league. But um yeah, I think these smaller guys, they no longer deserve that that penalty. Um, we, we used to view those guys as maybe more situation dependent, you know, well, they're not a prototypical X. Well, the prototypical, prototypical X is, I mean, for all intents and purposes might be dead, uh, in the NFL with the way that the offenses are going and the way the college game is infiltrating the league. So, um, beyond, uh, beyond those top guys that we mentioned that top four, who else should we have an eye on at the wide receiver position? Well, I, you know, obviously, I think Justin Ross, uh, also 2021, a lot of people really wanted to get excited about T. Higgins, uh, but then Ross came in and had just as, as an impressive year uh, as Higgins, and Higgins has already been there for a year. Really, Justin Ross, his mm-hmm. production, uh, adjusted production index is, is not, like if he was entering the NFL draft right now, uh, he would only be around the 30th percentile of, of, of uh production profiles, but he already did have a breakout season accounting for about 25% of the offense and uh, having a nice uh, yards per team pass attempt uh, numbers. And really he's looking like he's on the DeAndre Hopkins type uh, production profile in college. Whereas, you know, most of the time at Clemson, these guys don't have crazy bonkers, you know, dominator ratings. Uh, You know, uh, they don't take up a huge percentage of the offense because there's just so many other good wide receivers, I think Higgins is going to go next year. And Ross is probably still going to outproduce Higgins this year. But in Ross's final season, I think we're going to see something truly unbelievable. And he might pass, uh, and for most people, uh, heading into the 2021 draft as being the uh, the no-brainer wide receiver one just because of you know people are chasing that size and athleticism. And if he does check the production score in a way that I think he can, this year, and especially in his final season, his third season in college, I think we're looking at a player that could be better than all these guys we're talking about, uh, potentially. So I think a lot of people are swinging for the fences with him. He's kind of a, uh, in his, in almost like a tier of his own, if you really just kind of were objective about his production profile and uh, where he's probably going to be projected NFL draft-wise and things. But I think a lot of people have him right there in that conversation with those other guys for sure. Uh, but beyond that, I think Tylen Wallace was really impressive for Oklahoma state. Uh, I don't have him as high as, as some people do, but his production just already, if he didn't play another down, he would already be above average, basically around 64th, 65th percentile in his adjusted production index. And so if he, basically if you get a guy like him and then give him day two draft capital, uh, you're, you're, talking about a similar hit, hit rate as a guy like in this class uh, like AJ Brown like somebody who could be a mid to late first round pick if he didn't play another down of college already um, so uh, that's 
that's solid. And if he goes next year, he's going to be fighting a lot of running backs, and so he might get pushed back a little bit in terms of his rookie draft stock. But I think a lot of people are pretty high on him. Henry Ruggs is the other guy at Alabama, but uh, he might be just as fast or faster <laughs> than Jerry Judy. So I think uh, he doesn't have the production profile that Judy has, uh, but he's caught an insane amount of touchdowns. So if he fixes his adjusted numbers this year, it, may, it maybe eats a little bit larger percentage of the pie. Uh, you know, he'll check a couple of other boxes there. But those guys are kind of like a step down uh, below what we were kind of talking about uh, with the real elite, kind of elite five. And maybe some people have tried to throw in like a Brian Edwards or somebody else in that conversation. But really for me, it's uh, elite five. And then you've got like T. Higgins, Tyler Johnson, Brian Edwards, uh, kind of a step down uh, after that. Well, speaking of Tyler Johnson and Brian Edwards, I want to get to a couple of listener questions uh, that came into us uh, as people are trying to make sense of the class next year and beyond. I'm going to, I'm just going to read down the wide receiver rookie positional rankings at Rotoviz, and I want you to stop me where you would insert Tyler Johnson. Okay, like this year, yeah. Yeah, this year. Where where would Tyler Johnson and Brian Edwards have slotted in if they had declared this year? Okay. Nikhil Harry. Stop. Andy Isabella. No, no, like stop. Yeah, stop? Yeah. Stop. Okay, right there. Tyler Johnson, and wide then, receiver two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. All right, now let's, let's, let's find a spot for Edwards. Uh, and, and these may or may not reflect your rankings, but we're going to go with the, the site rankings here. Andy Isabella. I think he's right AJ there. AJ Brown. Like right, no, you don't have to go okay. further. <laughs> I think okay. right there. Wow. Like those two, those two guys I think are up there for me. Even like Jalen Rager for TCU's, he would have been pretty strong, uh, in this class as well. Um, I, I think especially now that we've seen the landing spots, it's a little bit easier to, uh, in hindsight to just see looking at the landing spots and say, ugh. I don't like the situation there. But even pre-draft, I think uh, they would have been right there in that tier along with the guys that we thought were going to be going high, like A.J. Brown, uh, like even D.K. Metcalf in that same conversation. Tyler Johnson, because of his ridiculous uh, production profile overall, and Brian Edwards, because he had the really insane early breakout age, and he hasn't really had that top-out, just-go-bonkers season yet, but he was competing with Debo Samuel. Uh, this past year, who just went 36th overall in the NFL draft. This season, though, is crucial for Edwards to get that draft capital and prove that he's an alpha. And I think he's going to this year in in a, in a spot where he does no longer have to compete against a guy like Debo, and he can really run the show in his final season, get like a 35% dominator or so, and really fix that, and then add the draft capital as well. And then he's he's going to sit in a really safe-looking spot as a prospect uh, but I know uh, I had some questions just after this year, not really looking like he improved necessarily. Um, but I think those two would, would would have to be right there. And so I thought there's a little bit of creep for Edwards this year. You know, even though you know would have liked to see the the nice round numbers. Would have been nice to have you know four digit receiving yards. But yeah, you know he did he did post his his best season in terms of receiving yards. Best season in touchdowns, best season in average uh, yards per reception. So um, I think there's still been, and, and actually, uh, it, it was an improvement by over three yards a, a reception over his, his sophomore campaign. So, um, you know, uh, grinding it up in chunks, I mean, 15 yards a reception 
um, pretty impressive with seven touchdowns. So uh, I, I agree. I mean, getting getting somebody that's so versatile like Debo out of the way, uh, it, it would be a blessing, I think, for for Edwards. Um, and with I think with the way this wide receiver class seemed to really convince NFL front offices that they were deserving of that early draft capital. Uh, you know, we didn't like that Tyler Johnson decided to stay in school. We didn't like that Brian Edwards stayed in school. But, but I, I don't think it hurts them um, to build their profiles a little bit more. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, a guy like, you know, fan favorite Hakeem Butler uh, slide into the fourth round um, when when it seemed that, you know, everything that he put on tape in his most recent season and, and the measurables being there, and the right story being there to excuse away for some, um, why he didn't produce early, uh, a, a talent like that sliding to the fourth round, lo- who looks like maybe on film a more dynamic player than Brian Edwards, well, you have to question how early he would have really gone in this draft. So, um, you know, we got to wait another year on those guys. They got to, you know, rot on our, on our taxi squad for another year. Um, but we're going to get to see him soon enough. Let's get to a couple other Listener questions. Um, let's see here. Oh, we got uh, Tamori and Terry. Yeah. Uh, a question came in. Uh, big six foot four target at uh, Florida State. Uh, just came off his red shirt freshman season. Thirty five receptions, seven hundred forty four yards, and eight touchdowns. What's to like about Terry? Is he on your radar right now? He is, but he's he's definitely a ways down the list for me, uh, and it's kind of hard to get a read on any Florida State offensive player just because uh, they've been kind of uh, a trash heap just collectively. Um, when when one aspect looks great, everything else looks awful, and it just goes in a cycle. Uh, but Terry, I mean, he's got a ridiculous yard per reception, 21.3 for a reason. He basically just runs goes for days, and even when he's not even involved in the play, he's still clearing out a side. Uh, so he's, you know, he's not the most balanced uh, player right now uh, and he's actually not as thick as you know your typical x either i don't believe just yet he, he might be marked up a little bit on his weight i think um so it's, it's going to be a kind of a, a weird read uh, if he chooses to come out next year i think that would be a little weird if he did uh, so he might be if you if you're drafting him now I, w- I would expect him to not really come out for a while still um so it's kind of kind of hard to to gauge uh, for me, but uh, he's somebody that I, I'm in, intrigued by his size. I'm intrigued by his speed, but I, lately we've been seeing guys like that drop to round three, into round three, round four, even, you know, the specialist types. Uh, so I'm not sure he's a balanced wide receiver one for an NFL team ever, but uh, still intriguing just because of the combination of size, speed and deep threat that people want to see. Yeah, I mean, he he's pretty much a watch list guy if it's a longer list. Uh, I'm looking at our current rankings right now. Um, neither you nor I nor Jordan Hoover have him inside our top 48. So um, just just maybe a guy that's out there on the periphery. We're interested in what he's going to do in 2019. But beyond that, uh, kind of in wait and see mode. Yeah, I'd say that's definitely safe with, with Terry. All right, so speaking of freshman production, I want to I want to talk about a guy who had some injury trouble this year and was really a darling um, in the Debbie community following 2017. Uh, Jamon Osbin, Texas A&M. What's the story with what happened in 2018 
And I mean, how are you treating him now? Yeah, you know, the buzz all, you know, last spring even, you know, hey, oh, Osmond's just ready to lead this wide receiver room. He's clearly the the best guy on the team, just goes out there and dominates physically and wins underneath and does all these really cool things. He looks like he has decent ball skills. Every every rider that was covering, covering the team after his impressive uh, kind of breakout year in 2017 for Texas A&M with 50 catches in his first season in college is solid. Uh, but he really struggled with health uh, for a good portion of this past season. And when he did, uh, you know, you saw other guys take over. You saw the, the tight end, Jay Sternberger, basically be operated as the team's wide receiver one. You saw a guy like uh, Courtney Davis, uh, Cameron Buckley even. Uh, even Kendrick Rogers in the, I guess it was the LSU game, uh, kind of exploded. Uh, so there's a bunch of other good wide receivers now uh, competing for those those catches and Osmond didn't even catch a touchdown this year. Uh, so it's just really strange read this year. Obviously uh, he's, uh, he's already still considered their kind of wide receiver one with uh, Cameron Buckley being the other every down type wide receiver there for Texas A&M this year. But this year is the most crucial of his entire career by far. If he stays healthy and doesn't put up reasonable numbers and doesn't look like even, you know, the best wide receiver on his own team, he, he might just be a completely undrafted free agent type guy, which is kind of crazy considering all the hype that was surrounding him after his freshman season. But I think the problem is he's not very fast, um, and he's not the most elusive. He doesn't create the separation that, that we want to see in, in the modern NFL. Uh, so, yeah, he can win physically. Yeah, he can win underneath and um, – you know, but I mean, if you look at his yards per reception, it's around 12, and that's because he just doesn't really create. Um, and so we might be looking at a, you know, a guy with LeCron Treadwell's profile, maybe, if he has a perfect uh, 2019 season. So it kind of stinks to say that because I actually have a share of Osmond on a roster, uh, but that's probably where we are. Well, Osmond, kind of the same story as Terry uh, for the listener that wanted to know about him. Um, not inside our top 48 uh, for no. any of, of the three of us at, at this time. So kind of relegated to the watch list. Un, you know, although, you know, unfortunately, I think he was widely owned across most Debbie leagues. Um, so kind of just a guy that you're going to have to hold on and, and hope for at this point. Is there any – I'm just going to give you a freebie here, a Hail Mary at the end of the episode, Travis. Sure. Is there any guy – that you just find yourself uh, wanting to push up those rankings, even though, I mean, nothing's happened since really December in college football. <laughs> who's, who's that riser that you're getting excited about? I, uh, I don't know what they're putting in the water at, at Penn state, uh, but uh, Saquon Barkley, oh, no. Miles Sanders, <laughs> two years in a row. I mean, they've, they've got, well, the obvious running back one in Barkley and debatably the running back one, in this class with Miles Sanders. And then I think this year they're going to have another guy that I really liked coming out of uh, really even coming into college, uh, Ricky Slade uh, for Penn State. He's a little bit undersized, just kind of like Eno is a little bit undersized, but he's got legit, I mean, he's going to be a guy who could press for sub 4-4 four, four as a running back uh, and and really solid, even though he didn't, didn't demonstrate it last year. Really solid receiving chops can can really haul it in with one one hand whenever he really needs to. I really hope he gets an opportunity to be a receiver uh, out of the backfield 
for Penn State this year. I keep on finding myself moving Ricky Slade up further and further on my board. He's actually a top 30 overall player for me right now. I think he's going to explode. They have some other good running backs there, but I think he his talent is just too great to leave off the field, and he's going to be a, a just a crazy riser who could be just like Eno was. Uh, slightly undersized, but I, I don't care. He's just a ridiculous talent that's probably going to be in the top 10 of Debbie Drafts next year. Yeah, man. And that's just such a cool name too, man. Like I feel like <laughs> <Seriously>? it's <laughs> like it's a name of like a street fighter or something. Yeah. And that and that old game. Rick, Ricky Slade, man. Um, yeah, I, I don't mind that. Uh, I, I think it's just so natural to want to be looking for that next running back. I mean, the running backs get owned so – so early, uh, like you said earlier in the episode, because we just we know so much about their profiles coming out of high school that uh, really have to get those guys, you know, as freshmen. I mean, Slade's already owned and and plenty of Debbie leagues, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, another, you know, another uh, cool running back name for me. What do, you, what do you think about Chuba Hubbard? You like <laughs> Chuba Hubbard? Yeah, Ch- Ch- Chuba Hubbard uh, for uh, yeah Oklahoma State. I mean, he's he's somebody that could creep up the list as well. His opportunity. It's undeniable. Yeah. What what we saw just Justice Hill do was just crazy. So uh, Hubbard's got the size too. So I think he he looks more like a feature than Justice Hill. So if he hasn't just bonkers twenty nineteen, you can be looking at a guy who could actually have greater draft capital than Hill did this year and sneak into the maybe back end of round three. Even though that's going to be kind of a crowded area, uh, I think at the position next year. But yeah, the cool name. Feature back size, great opportunity, great value, really, because he's you know going running back. I don't know, not even in the top ten, maybe in a lot of my my debut debut leagues, probably this year going to be even a top top ten back. So once you get down that far, I mean, it's anybody's value. So I like him a lot. Yeah, and, and twenty two receptions in his first season of action. I mean, it was a red shirt. It was a red shirt uh, freshman season, not a true freshman season but um that's always impressive i like to see the backs that find their way onto the field yeah. uh, with some of those valuable touch opportunities young i think it can uh, often be a positive indicator of things to come well you know that's probably all the time we have uh this week on uh, the debbie special uh, we're going to be talking about that definitely more some this this summer can't wait to share more rankings uh, more metrics and really dive into some of these prospects with some profiles. And I, I am going to be talking about uh, the adjusted production index and how that impacts Debbie some uh, and some stuff over at Rotoviz this summer. So really can't wait to just continue diving into that and really just trying to find new ways to analyze college and future NFL draft prospects here for and with you guys. Feel free. I, we love the questions uh, this week. That really helped guide the discussion uh, down the stretch on some names like Tyler Johnson and Brian Edwards and Tamori and Terry, Osmond. Uh, so we want to know what you guys care about because uh, that's what we care about. But I uh, can't wait to talk about more. But definitely uh, just check out DynastyCommandCenter.com. Our premium Slack is just getting lit up right now. It's a prime off-season talk. People are just already positioning themselves for success uh, heading into the NFL season. And it's not even really to OTAs and training camp and anything like that just yet. But uh, thanks again for joining us. And Curtis, thanks for taking some time. I know you got a lot going on. You're a busy, busy guy. I try to stay busy myself. But uh, you can find... Curtis on Twitter at CPatrickNFL. I'm Travis May at FF underscore Travis M. And thanks again, all of you, for just joining us for another Dynasty Command Center podcast. 
And until next time, keep living in that dynasty life. The news on flavored e-cigs talks a lot about the technology and teen use, but parents need to know more about the dangers of nicotine. So know this. One, nicotine is a toxic poison that can rewire teens' brains. Two, it can increase mood swings. Three, it can limit attention and learning. So even when it tastes like candy, nicotine is brain poison. Go to flavorshookkids.org for more. The Gap Factory Labor Day sale is happening now. Hurry in for the best deals of the season. 40 to 75% off everything. Plus doorbusters August 30th through September 2nd only. Tees from $4.99. Logo styles from $16.99. And jeans from $19.99. Shop in-store today at Gap Factory or at GapFactory.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.